In preparing for this morning and going back over a few weeks when I first knew that I was going to be speaking this morning, the phrase that's been on my heart very much is the joy of the Lord. It's been in my thoughts and in particular uh, words from Nehemiah which it talks about the joy of the Lord is your strength. Although I'm not particularly going to focus on that verse this morning. But the joy of the Lord. What is the joy of the Lord? What is joy? Well, as often I do, I turned to the Oxford English Dictionary uh, and it told me that joy was a feeling of great pleasure and delight. And I thought, I'm going to probably work that one out for myself. Maybe you could have done too. Uh, so what does it mean? What does it mean in a Christian context? Well, I guess if you've ever been to Sunday school or similar, you probably came across this acrostic, that joy means putting Jesus first, others second, and yourself last. Now, it's sort of a fairly simplistic uh, idea of joy, and yet, nonetheless, it's got a truth to it. You know, putting Jesus first in our lives as Christians is what is paramount. If he doesn't have his rightful place in our lives, then nothing's going to be right. You know, we need to consider other people. We are saved to serve. We have a responsibility for others. And then at the end comes ourself. You see, the trouble in the world in which we live today is that we're told that the most important person is me. The most important thing is what's good for me. Others come far, far further back and Jesus right in the distance, if at all. And so joy does involve putting Jesus right at his central place. It does involve having that vision of the need of others, but bringing it round and including ourselves and keeping that together. Now that's simplistic. I'm going to look at some other things as well as we go on. Joy is different to happiness. Happiness depends upon what's going on around us. As we've seen this morning, some of you are happy that Norwich City are getting promoted. It's a happy day. It's been a great season, even if it did seem in the last weeks that they were trying to fall over the line rather than run over it. But uh, that's happiness. I wonder if we wound the clocks forward 12 months, what uh, situation of happiness with football team would be then. Who knows? But we're happy, you know, that depends on happiness. It depends upon the situation we're in. Some people may have been happy last weekend because we had such a great weekend of weather. Fantastic bank holiday weekend, so different uh, to this weekend. I was playing at a wedding yesterday and it wasn't a great day for a wedding, I tell you that. But we get happy because the sun's shining and it's bright. I'm happy because I'm going on holiday this week. <laughs> Some people would probably say that because I'm retired, my life's one long holiday. 
please don't say that to my wife or I can't, uh, I don't take responsibility for the consequences of that statement. We're happy for a variety of reasons and yet, what's that got to do with joy? How does joy fit in with that? I haven't asked permission this, but I want to quote Mark if I can, but week before last, Mark was speaking at the Thanksgiving service for Mark Horbury, and he was talking about God's peace. And he said that God's peace is, is described in the Bible as a peace that passes all understanding. And he was saying, you know, we can know God's peace. God's peace is not dependent upon the circumstances that are going on around us. We can know peace despite what is happening in our lives. And so I would suggest it is with joy. We can know the joy of the Lord in our hearts, even when things are looking black. We can know that despite all that's going on around us. And so I want to look at God's joy in, in three particular ways, with three particular incidents this morning. Now the first one may seem something of a contradiction, uh, but I'm calling it the joy of the crucifixion. As I started thinking on this line, I almost saw a sort of exam question. The crucifixion brought great, Jesus great joy. Discuss. Did it? Well, before you think I'm saying that and having some sort of meltdown, let me quote one of the verses that George read, and one that did speak to me. Jesus, for the joy set before him, endured the cross. Back on Good Friday, I, I wasn't with you here because I was playing at two other services and they were within a relatively short time of each other. They were both services that included readings, mainly from the Bible, but a few others as well, about Jesus' suffering and all that he went through and some songs that uh, focused on that as well. As I drove home from that second service, it really hit home to me all that Jesus had suffered. Not just physically in being crucified, but from everything else that went on around that time. He'd gone through the betrayal of Judas by Judas Iscariot, one of his chosen twelve. He'd known agony in the Garden of Gethsemane, where he prayed and where it said that sweat like drops of blood appeared on his brow. I'm no medical expert, but I understand that is a symptom of acute stress. That's what Jesus was facing. He'd faced the denial which he predicted by Peter and actually, before you get too critical of Peter, of course, most of the other disciples had already done a runner by the time we read about Peter's denial. There were farcical trials, first before the high priest, 
where they tried to bring in false witnesses against him, and yet they just couldn't agree in their testimony. He was sent to King Herod, who basically ridiculed him. He comes to an equally bizarre trial before Pontius Pilate, a governor who just seems to want to do anything for a quiet life. And then he's taken by the Roman soldiers and flogged and given the crown of thorns. So weak was he that Simon of Cyrene has to be pressed into service to carry the cross because Jesus was stumbling. And even on the cross, it doesn't end there. There are taunts from the crown. If you are the Christ, come down from the cross and save yourself. Even those, one of those being crucified with him could say the same. If you're the Christ, save us and save yourself. I think actually the criminal was more intent on being saved himself than anything else Jesus did. And yet, of course, if Jesus had done what the crowd wanted, we would not have in, uh, won our salvation. And you know, all this, of course is, if you like, the preamble before we get to the crucifixion itself. You know, the gospel writers don't say much about crucifixion because the people of the day knew all about its horrors. <coughs> it was perhaps the worst and most inhumane form of execution ever allowed. And some years later, even the Romans banned it as being too barbaric. You know, it was as I drove home with these thoughts of all he'd suffered before the cross and on the cross that this verse again came to me. Jesus, for the joy set before him, endured the cross. <clears throat> you know, that phrase, endured the cross, we, we can almost pass over, we can almost trivialize it. And yet how much it did mean for him. And yet, you know, if he was prepared to suffer so much, if he was prepared to endure that because of the joy set before him, how great that joy must have been. How great his joy was. There's a song, line in the song we sung last week, uh, which, uh, which is what a beautiful name, which says, you didn't want heaven without it. God wanted us there with him. God wanted us to fellowship with him in heaven. He didn't want heaven without us. That's the joy of the Lord. That's the joy that looks at the end from the beginning. Peter in his epistle could say this, where he's speaking about the Lord's return. He is not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. And that repentance and, and forgiveness could only come by Jesus' death on the cross. The, the hymn we often sing at Easter, there was no other good enough to pay the price of sin. He only could unlock the gate of heaven and let us in. He could and he did. That's the joy of what Jesus achieved on that cross. But of course it didn't end there. We have the joy of the resurrection. 
You see, what separates Christianity from other religions is that we don't just worship someone who lived and died. Any other religion, you can go to find the tomb of the person they follow, and it's there, you can see it. With Jesus, you can't, because he's not dead, he's alive. He's risen from the dead. That's the joy. That's the joy those disciples could experience. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the risen Lord. Are we joyful this morning that we're in the presence of the risen Lord Jesus Christ? Now, for some, that understanding happened quickly, but for others, it took a little while. I was sharing last Sunday evening uh, how I'd been out early last Easter Sunday morning for those of you that were there. I hope you just bear with me as I reprise. But um, out at um, Hardley, a village near Loddon, they always have a six o'clock service on an Easter Sunday morning. Uh, I'd never been before. And as we turned into to bed on Saturday night, I jokingly said to Philip, are we going to get up and go to the six o'clock service at Hardley in the morning? And her reply was, you must be joking. And I thought, oh, what should I do? And I'd set the alarm for about 7 o'clock, thinking if I set the alarm for any, a time that the first figure is a 5, uh, it will not be an Easter, a happy Easter Sunday in our household. And so I sort of prayed a selfish prayer. Don't do this at home, but I prayed a selfish prayer, which said, well, Lord, if you want me to go, you're going to have to wake me up in time. I mean, it's quite good, really, because if I didn't wake up, God obviously didn't want me to go to the service. And um, I, I do wake up just occasionally during the night. I don't sleep right through like I did when I was younger. And uh, I'd just sort of woken up once. And I woke up this time. I, get, I guess the optimum time I needed to wake up was about quarter, 20 past five to get up dressed and out to where I needed to be. And I woke up this time and I looked at the clock and it said quarter past five. And I sort of stayed there for a bit and didn't go back to sleep. I thought, okay, Lord, you win. And I got, I'm glad I did. I'm glad I went out and enjoyed that time there, seeing the sunrise over the mist. Um, I'd been out. It, it was a great picture. I, th I think I haven't been up many times to see the sunrise, and most times I have. It's usually been too cloudy to see it, but that morning I could see it. And as I came back to Loddon, near where the river is there, I stopped for a few minutes uh, just to look at the scene there. And the sun was up. There was still mist down on the river and on the meadow. Quite strangely it looked, because there were cows walking around on the meadow in the mist. And just as I sat there, there was a pair of ducks came swimming down the river out of the mist uh, with a couple of ducklings with them. Sign of new life. But the mist was being burned away. You know, for many of these early disciples, that was the case. Paul, Paul John was sharing last Sunday evening the story of the two on the road to Emmaus, how they walked and they realised they'd been with Jesus. They could say, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? First of all, they didn't know who he was. They thought he was a total stranger in that area. And yet, as they went, as he spoke, gradually their eyes were opened and they realized they'd been talking to Jesus. 
earlier in that chapter. The women come to the tomb has been amazed by what they saw and what they were told. But as they were reminded of what Jesus had taught them about the being crucified and raised on the third day, they remembered. Suddenly it was like a bolt from the blue. Yeah, Jesus did say that, didn't he? Now, of course, it was perhaps under, it wasn't surprising. They couldn't initially understand the resurrection because they wouldn't really get their heads around the fact that he would die. Even the writer Charles Wesley, years later, would say in his hymn, And Can It Be? Tis mystery all. The immortal dies. Who can explore this strange design? You see, for those, it took time. It was a bit like that vision I had of the mist on the river. The sun was up, and gradually it was burning that mist away until you could see clearly. And maybe like that, as the Son of God came alongside them, that mist was gradually burnt away, and they could see Jesus for who he was, the risen, conquering King. I wonder, are we rejoicing this morning that we have a risen Saviour to worship? The last one I want to move on to, I've called joy in adversity. In Acts 16, we read about Paul and Silas in prison in Philippi. It says, after they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received his orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. And it goes on to say what happened at midnight. What does it say? At midnight, Paul and Silas were licking their wounds and bemoaning their lot. No, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns, singing praises to God, and the other prisoners were listening. I wonder how many of us in the same situation would have said, I don't know why I bother. Why should I bother speaking to these people if they don't want to listen? Why don't I go to some people that do want to listen? You know, even Paul in another place could say uh, to a group of Jews, you know, seeing that you consider yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, I'm going to speak to the Gentiles. But you see, they weren't going to do that there because Paul and Silas had already met a group of women who had formed the basis of the Philipp Philippine church a church who Paul could later in his epistle describe as his joy and crown. You know, the, the apostles did understand joy in adversity, joy in affliction. The early apostles in Acts chapter 5, they'd been imprisoned by the Jews. They'd been taken, they'd been beaten, they'd been, been released. And what were their words? The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Do we have a joy in serving the Lord this morning?
as we see the joy Jesus endured to bring about our salvation, does it really cause us to thank God and praise him? Are we rejoicing that we serve a risen Savior? If not, is it because you've never asked Jesus into your life in the first place? Maybe you've heard many Bible stories many times. Maybe you've seen a lot of people worshipping and praising God and you're happy for them, but it's never had an effect on your own life. You're okay as you are. You know, Jesus invites you this morning to take that step. Not to be on the periphery of his kingdom, but to be part of his kingdom. Jesus invites you this morning to make that step, to commit your life to him. Perhaps you once knew the joy in serving the Lord, but now it's all become a bit of a drudgery. The hymn writer William Cowper could write these words, Where is the blessedness I knew when first I saw the Lord? Where is the soul-refreshing view of Jesus and his word? Perhaps that's where you are this morning. Yeah, once it seemed great, and now it just seems hard work. It doesn't seem much point to what I'm doing. Why should I serve the Lord? Perhaps you've lost that joy. David, in writing Psalm 51, Psalm 51 is a psalm David writes, having been confronted by the prophet Nathan over his adultery with Bathsheba. And he can say in verses 10 to 12 these words, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Maybe that's the prayer you need to make this morning. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Are you glad this morning that you've been saved? Are you glad that you've known the risen Lord Jesus Christ? Are you glad that you're serving him? Or is it all a bit of a drudgery? I hope this morning that you'll take that prayer. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and go on to serve him from there. I want to finish with some words attributed to Mother Teresa. She wrote, Joy is prayer. Joy is strength. Joy is love. Joy is a net of love by which you can catch souls. God loves a cheerful giver. He or she gives most who gives with joy. The best way to show our gratitude to God and the people is to accept everything with joy. A joyful heart is the inevitable result of a heart burning with love. Never let anything so fill you with sorrow as to make you forget the joy 
of the risen Christ. I pray this morning that we might know the joy of the risen Christ and that we will then allow his strength to sustain us through whatever situations we will face during coming days. We don't know what this week will hold. But we can say, I don't know what the future holds, but I know who holds the future. And because of that, even in dark times, I can know the joy of the Lord is my strength. May it be so in his name. Amen.